Hello, uh, my name is Kathy Grace Duncan, and I'm here to talk about gender identity and same-sex attraction. Um, I have brought some information here. I'm going to give my testimony and then go over just a really broad uh, sweep of the cultural and some gene study and then um, the roots and causes. So let me pray to get started here. Uh, Heavenly Father, thank you so much for being with us today, and I just ask God that you bring your truth, you bring your truth, your revelation truth, Lord, that we're able to hear the truth, and um, we have revelation of who you are in the midst of this. Thank you, Jesus, in your name, amen. So again, my name is Kathy Grace Duncan, and um, if you, I'm with the Portland Fellowship, if you want to go on our website, it's portlandfellowship.com, and you can find information there, resources there. We have our program information on there for those who want to go through the Taking Back program, those who want to come out of the lifestyle, as well as online programs. Uh, Reach Truth is for those who are younger than 18, and then there's Taking Background online, um, and then there's also Hope Group, and that's for friends and families. We have a local meeting here in Portland as well. And then there's also the program for uh, Hope uh, hope for the families, and um, that's for transgender as well as homosexuality. So if you want to reach me personally, uh, you can email me at kathygrace at portlandfellowship.com, and that's K-A-T-H-Y-G-R-A-C-E at portlandfellowship.com. I'm happy to answer your questions via email. Uh, maybe we can have a phone call or even maybe in person once the whole COVID thing opens up a little bit further. So to start off, I want to give my testimony. Um, beginning before kindergarten, so probably around the age four or five, um, I longed to be a boy. I felt I should have been a boy, that I was born in the wrong body. And I would ride my tricycle over to pick up my girlfriend, and we were going to go get married. Now somehow in my little mind, I knew that um, this wasn't normal, so I kept it a secret. And as I continued to grow up, I still had the longing to be a boy. When I was about seven, my little brother was born, and that um, uh, gave me a lie that women can be replaced. I can be replaced as a girl, and to have that relationship with my dad, I needed to also be a boy. At the same time, my family dynamics wasn't the best. My dad... Um, would verbally and emotionally abuse my mom, and that gave me the lies that women were hated, women were weak, and women were vulnerable. And as I watched my mom respond to this abuse, she responded as though she was weak, vulnerable, and hated. So I had those lies in there um, since I was like four, and then along with when my little brother was born, it added on that I could be replaced as a girl as well as I needed to be a boy to have that affection from my dad. And then between the ages of 10 and 12, I was sexually molested by a family member, which also validated those lies that women were weak and they were hated and vulnerable. When I was about 12, my parents had a rental house and they rented to a family and they had a son who was two years younger than me. And he and I became friends and in the midst of that, I uh, revealed to him that I wanted to begin to live as a boy. And I felt that I should have been a boy and he was excited about that. And so that was my first affirmation that living as a man was the right road for me to take. 
At the age of 16, I got a car and I began to live a double life. I would be at home as a girl and going to school as a girl, but then outside of that, I would date women as a boy. By the age of 19, I couldn't handle it any longer and I was desperate to escape because I was at that point where I hated everything about me as far as being a woman. Anything to do with me being a woman, I absolutely could not stand. So at the age of 19, I changed my name and I began to take hormones. Um, I also moved out of the house at that time and I moved in with a, a family. It was a single mom with two daughters. And um, after living there for about two weeks, they kept after me and after me and after me to go to church with them. So I finally went with them to church. And um, now I was raised Lutheran, and in where I was raised, it was they only talked about really God the Father. I didn't really have much knowledge of Jesus, and so I, when I went to church um, with with this family, I learned more about Jesus, and I was very curious about him. I I was like, wow, he sounds like he's really cool. And so finally, one night, um, I went down and I accepted the Lord as my Savior. And when I got up the next day, uh, I didn't feel any different. I, I, you know, I was like, wow, nothing's changed. And I wasn't sure if I did it right or if, you know, it took. So for the next two Sunday nights when they offered the altar call, I went down. The third time when I went down, the pastor <laughs> said to me, you know, um, it really did, you know, you only have to really receive the Lord once for him to be your savior. I was like, oh, okay. But when I got up the next morning, I still didn't feel any change. I didn't hear him saying that my lifestyle was wrong. I didn't hear him saying that I had to go back. I had to be the girl that he created me to be. And also, you know, I was a brand new believer, and so I didn't have a way of discerning his will for my life. So I thought he was okay with the way I was living. So I continued on. I had gotten a job as a man, and about working there six months later my dad came in and talked to my manager and told the manager oh uh, this man that's working for you really isn't a man it's my daughter well a woman that I went to church with overheard that conversation and went to the pastors of the church and said hey this is what I heard about this person so I was called into the uh, pastor's office they said to me hey can we can we talk to you and so I, I went in and they said um, you know we're hearing these rumors about you and we just want to know who, who, who are you who are you really and so I said well I'm a man who used to be a woman and they said to me well we love you but we just can't have you going to church here so I left the church and um, I, I somehow I knew that really wasn't the heart of the Lord Eventually, I got another job, and at this job, I met a woman, and we began to date. She was a believer, and so I started to go to church with her. She was also a big influence on teaching me that, as a Christian, you read the Bible. I didn't know that, so I started reading the Bible, and after about dating for about four or five years, we broke up, and um, I stayed at the church, and she decided to find a different church. And in attending this church, I become part of the orchestra. And um, one night, um, well, and then after the breakup, I immediately jumped into a rebound relationship. And um, during that relationship, I got heavily involved in pornography. I had a deep pornography addiction. 
And um, I woke up one morning and I realized that, oh my gosh, she's my mom and I'm my dad. Everything that I hated, um, I had become. And everything that I vowed I would not do, I have done. So I broke up with her because I realized I didn't want to be that man. I didn't want to treat her like that, nor did she deserve to be treated like that. So I broke up with her, and I continued at the church, and on my way to orchestra practice one night, the Lord said to me, Will you now? Will you now? And I took this inventory of my life, and I saw there was nothing in the way. There was no reason why I couldn't follow him. There was nothing holding me back. So I said to him, Yes, Lord, I will. It was about three months later when I realized that that night I had said yes to the Lord that he had delivered me from my pornography addiction. And I am still free from that today. So I continued on at the church. And um, at, I just opened my heart everywhere to the Lord. I began to read more of the Word, become more involved in prayer. I got more involved at the church. Um, I started to lead a men's Bible study. I was also a small group leader for a group of junior high boys. I was involved in the college age group. I was also in involved in the single adults group and I was just everywhere I could be at the church. I was so hungry for the Lord and so desperately wanting to know him. Um, at the same time, the Lord brought along a, a couple and they became my spiritual parents. And uh, I didn't know it at the time, but the Lord was using them to begin to work through my dad's stuff. And um, I then I began to date another girl, and we had been dating for a little while, and I got her involved in the junior high group as well. And we had gone to a over uh, a weekend retreat with the junior high kids. And when I came home, I was exhausted, and I was looking forward to, you know, being home and just having nothing to do. And she called me and said, "Hey, can can we go to the evening service? Can will you meet me there?" And I'm like, "Sure." So I met her at the church. And after church, we were standing in a group of people just talking, and my spiritual dad, his name is Gary, approached me, and he said, Hey, can I talk to you? And right away in my heart, I was like, I think I know this can I talk to you thing. And so I'm sure. So I followed him behind the sanctuary into the prayer room, and as I entered, the pastor of the um, college-age group was there. His name was um, Dave, and... Um, so I sat down, and when I sat down looking at them, I was like, oh, I'm going to be confronted. So Dave says to me, he goes, well, I, you know, I, I'm hearing rumors about you, and I, I just want to know, who are you? Who are you really? Well, previously, that was the very same question I had previously, and previously I had said, I'm a man who used to be a woman. Well, this time I told the truth, and I said, I'm a woman living as a man. And as I did that, the Holy Spirit went, and blew into me. And um, at that moment, I saw the next two weeks of my life, the ministries I had to step down from because I knew I had to go back to being the woman that God had created me to be. And so I asked Dave, I hadn't shared that information with him, and I asked Dave, I said, so what do you think I should do? And Dave's like, well, you know, you could, uh, or maybe you should, uh, well, I think maybe... Uh, I don't know what you should do. I haven't ever dealt with this before. So I shared with him what I had seen, and he said, you know, um, I am willing to make those appointments for you, and I am willing to be in there with you as you explain to the pastors as you step down. And I was like, oh my gosh, okay. 
So I went into work the next day, and um, I lost my job. And I have to tell you, to this day, I still don't know why I lost my job. <laughs> um, it had nothing to do with the prior uh, evening service. They didn't know anything about that. Uh, but I lost my job, which I knew, or I felt, that it was the Lord clearing the way for me to really begin to go back to being the woman that He had created me to be. So I met with all the pastors, stepped down, and it was interesting because um, as I was stepping down and I was talking with the junior high pastor, as I told him, you know, I'm going back to the woman that God created me to be, he was like, well, that's interesting because I would watch you with these junior high boys and you were so nurturing. And I kept thinking, wow, he would be such a great woman. So um, at that point, I was living up in Vancouver, Washington. I moved back to Portland. And um, I started going to the Portland Fellowship and started the journey out working uh, through my stuff and uh, doing the process. The process for me took about five and a half, sorry, four and a half to five years before I could actually uh, cross back and live full time as a woman. And I changed my name back. And um, so now I'm involved in the Portland Fellowship. I am the women's ministry leader there. I have taught and I continue to lead small groups. I'm also chair of the board there. And um, the work that the Portland Fellowship does is amazing. And um, it was 27 years ago that I came out of that lifestyle. I lived uh, as a man for 11. And um, I am just free from that lifestyle. So that's my testimony. That's who I am. Um, and again, if you have any questions for me, my email is kathygrace at portlandfellowship.com. Or if you want to look at other stories that are online at the website, portlandfellowship.com, and click on Stories. So now I want to um, go into a little bit about um, gene study and culturally what's being said out there. Um, the question is, you know, was I born this way? And I say, no. No, you weren't. Um, it seems, you know, when a transgender person says, I've always felt this way, or even somebody who's homosexual or same-sex attracted, they always say, like, I know I have felt this way since I can remember. And since they have felt that way since they can remember, they feel that that's unchangeable, that they had to have been born that way. That's the only way to explain it. And so in trying to have basically cultural believe that, you know, this is the way it is, there was a bunch of gene studies that were done. Recently, there was a big one that came out, the GANA gene study, and that's G-A-N-N-A, uh, study and they that research was over 30 years that they did and they did a whole demographics of people which included um, people from the LGBTQ community races religions all the stuff they did the gene study and I found an article um, it's called the gay gene myth has been exposed and it's ball by Paul Sullins and it was published uh, September 3rd of 2019 and he writes in there the findings of the study of the genetic basis of homosexuality published last week in the journal Science explode the false narrative that being gay is an innate condition that is controlled or largely compelled by one's genetic makeup. Rebutting decades of search by LGBT scientists for the gay gene, the study first author flatly concludes 
It will be basically impossible to predict one's sexual activity or orientation just from genetics. Prior to this, um, LGBT scientists only studied LGBTQ people. And so that's why there was the um, belief that there had to be a gay gene because all of everybody from the LGBTQ community came up the same. And so they thought, well, it has to be this gene. However, um, Paul Solons goes on to say, a genetic arrangement based on a large number of markers across the genome means that virtually all human beings, all human beings, have this arrangement, or large portions of it. In other words, not only did the study fail to find some controlling gene for gay identity, it also established that gay persons are not genetically distinct from all other human beings in any meaningful way. Gay persons, we might say, have perfectly normal human genome. So this study looked at everybody and at, looked at everybody's uh, genetic makeup, and you know, over 30 years rather than just studying the LGBT community. And so they pretty much found out that uh, we're all the same. There's no genetic makeup. And it was interesting because in one of the studies that I read, and I can't remember if it was from Paul Sullins or not, or if it was in the GANA gene study, but in one of them said that they did find a group of genes that um, did show risky behavior. But in that risky behavior, it included smoking, drinking, um, multiple sex partners, and being open to risky behavior. So it wasn't just um, put as a gay gene, but it was put as uh, this could apply to anybody. Could, uh, you know, it's not just uh, those who are in the lifestyle or heterosexuals that have multiple uh, sexual partners. It's both. So I found that very interesting. Um, now, when it came to transgender, it seems like the argument isn't so much as um, genes as it is DNA. Um, in a different study that also was about the gay gene, um, as it focused on the gay and transgender people only, um, they also couldn't conclude that there was uh, significant evidence of a gay gene or a gene that would um, have somebody that would have the propensity to be transgender. It was interesting, I did read a study about uh, the genome and transgender people, and one, I, I, one of the theories was is that there is this gene, and it takes a specific uh, set of circumstances, and it uh, flips a switch, and then you realize, oh, I actually should be living as a man. And then, you know, over a period of time, you know, so there was a, another specific set of circumstances that happen, and it and it flips the switch off, which allows you to go back to your biological uh, sexual identity. And I thought about that, and I'm like, that can't be true. So um, I was like, oh, so I, maybe what the study is telling me that I keep getting my 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 switch flipped. <laughs> yeah, I did not believe that at all. So um, it was also interesting, too, on the science side, that um, I, I have a friend who is transgender, and they send me all kinds of studies, so I'm kind of up on what's going on in the trans community. 
And um, my friend sent me this one story, which I found was really interesting. Uh, a transgender woman, so that's a man living as a woman, uh, sent in a DNA sample to 23andMe. This person wanted to figure out where are they from, what is their heritage like, you know, are they part German, are they part Sweden, all of those things. And on the information card, this person marked female, and they marked female as the sex because that's how they identify. They don't identify as a male, though they're biologically male. They only identify as female. And so they sent it in, sent in all their information. Two weeks later, um, the card was returned with a note saying, we're sorry, we cannot complete your DNA testing at this time. Your DNA results are showing as male, while your intake card is showing as female. Please correct your intake card and return to complete your testing. And I, I found that really interesting because here is a company that has no vested interest in proving anything other than this is your heritage. But yet they, they proved that we can identify, like I could identify as a male, but I'm still biologically female. My DNA shouts, you're female. And uh, there's nothing I can do to change that. So I, just, I found that was interesting that, um, that that came up in a DNA testing. But it also shows, um, you know, scripturally that how we're created is true. And um, I, I looked up, when I was coming out of the lifestyle, part of my process was, you know, okay, so God, if you're saying that I'm female, what does that mean? And so I went to Psalm 139, and I wanted to know what, what did this mean as I dove into this information in this Bible? And um, Psalm 139.13 says, For you created me, you created my innermost being, you knit me together in my mother's womb. Or as King James puts it, you formed my inward parts, you covered me in my mother's womb. And as I looked at that, I realized that God is very intentional. He just doesn't create whatever for whatever. He's an intentional God as far as his creation. And I also saw that when he wove me together, he wove me together feminine on the inside. Everything that I needed to be feminine, to walk in my femininity, was woven into me on the inside. And then he put skin on to represent how I'm wired on the inside. So when you look at me, you look at my physical attributes and you go, oh, girl, oh, feminine. Same with men. You look at them, got skin on, okay, male. So you are wired masculine. So everything that I needed to be a woman, he has given me. And that's intentional. As I read further down in Psalm 119, verse 16, it says, your eyes saw my sub substance yet being unformed, and in your book they were all written, the days fashioned for me, when yet there were none of them. I also like the Passion Translation. It says, You saw who you created me to be before I came to be. Before I'd ever seen the light of day, the number of days you planned for me were already recorded in your book. So as I take that intentionality as far as how he wired me and put skin on to represent that, I also saw that he was also intentional about creating me on purpose for a purpose. So when I look at that as a whole, I was like, well, 
we can't change our DNA because God intentionally set that into our being when we are created and then wrote out the plan as far as how we are to live in that intentional creation. You know, and also in Genesis 127, which is, you know, controversial and it's used a lot um, as far as in uh, putting it to the transgender community, it said, So God created them in his own image. In the image of God, he created them male and female. He created them. And then in verse 331, Then God saw everything he had made, and indeed it was very good. And I found that interesting that in all of the things that he created in those six days, when he created uh, men and women, he said it was very good. And if you do a word study on very and good, it opens up that verse to a way bigger capacity than you ever think is possible. Um, so if you can't change your DNA, and there's not a gay gene, and you weren't born that way, then what is it? Could it be environment? Um, one of the questions that I get is, is this lifestyle a choice? Yes, it is. That's a very controversial statement. But on the other side of that coin is I think, yes, it is a choice. Is it a conscious choice? I say no, it's not a conscious choice. Those who are in the LGBT lifestyle, they don't make that choice consciously. That choice that they are making, it's coming from wounding. They're deeply wounded. It's coming from a place of pain. They're choosing this lifestyle to escape that pain. They're driven to get a legitimate need that has gone unmet, met. They don't know that. They don't know what drives them to find, um, you know, a lifestyle outside of how they're created or what was designed for them. Um, and the culture that we live in says, sex equals love and love equals sex. So, if you love me, you'll have sex with me. And because I love you, I'll have sex with you. And because we have sex, and now we love each other, I therefore have intimacy with you. And that is a deception that they carry with them. The thing that's puzzling to me is they sometimes will have multiple sex partners. And in all of that, they're looking for love in all of those things. Um, there's also, I've, I discovered in my own life, as well as those who I worked with, is that there's, there's three major roots that happen, and they happen fairly young. Um, the first one is rejection, and rejection includes the perceived rejection or the real rejection. There's also abandonment, and that includes emotional abandonment and physical abandonment. For instance, my dad was home all the time. Um, he was very faithful about being home for his family. However, emotionally, he wasn't available. And uh, it was pretty much the same for my mom. My mom, you know, took care of our needs. She washed our clothes. She made sure we had lunch for school. She cooked our dinner, all of those things. But emotionally, she wasn't available. And then there's abuse. Uh, and abuse includes the emotional, physical, sexual, and verbal abuse. Now, these three are the three main roots, and with the rejection, um, rejection seems to be in all of it, and they're very tightly in, in, intertwined. 
So when, when someone is abused, um, then whether it's emotional, physical, sexual, or verbal, that uh, translate as rejection. Abandonment can also translate as rejection. And rejection can translate as, as abandonment. And rejection can also push someone into abuse. So the interesting thing is, too, is the people I've worked with, I would say 99.9% of them have had some sort of sexual abuse. Rape, molestation, sodomized. Um, I've heard horrific stories, and that leaves a mark on them for a long time. So with these three main roots, what happens is it opens them up for deception. And there's a place where that deception enters and it begins to form a lie. So for instance, here I am at four and I observe the relationship between my parents. Now I don't have the tools to go, okay, my dad is abusive and my mom is abused and she doesn't know how to stand up to him. But I watch their interaction in their relationship and I see, oh, it's not safe to be a woman because I'll be hated, I'll be weak, and I'll be vulnerable. Boom, that's where the, the deception enters and I begin to believe that lie. And the deception can also create feelings which are untrue. And so it enters, creates a lie, and then I'm like, oh, well, I've always felt this way. I don't remember feeling any different from that. It's kind of like this feeling now consumes and it takes over who you are as far as how you feel. The deception can also enter through a place of trauma. So um, abuse is a pretty big trauma. Abandonment can also have pretty huge trauma. Same with rejection. So, um, and that place of trauma can also, can also um, be perceiving a situation incorrectly. There can also be something that happens that's also perceived incorrectly and therefore it creates that open door for the deception for that lie to come in and begin to live. Um, so when the lies come in what happens is it also creates a complete belief system. This is now our world. This lies, uh, this world of lies is now my world. And the world is seen through those lies. Everything that comes back through that um, affirms the lies. Uh, look, I'm always going to be rejected. You just reje rejected me. Now, that could have been perceived, but to me, it was still real rejection. Also, um, I, re I see the, sorry, things come in through that belief system. And that belief system is a very clogged filter. So it doesn't come in accurately, and um, I can my takeaway may not be what really happened. Um, it's also um, it's also the wounding that's in there tells me how to respond. I'm wounded. That's touched my wound, and I respond through that. I respond to the world through that. Um, it also makes both the lies and the wounding makes receiving the truth hard because if if you give me truth about the wounding you actually are causing me pain so it's like you're sticking your fingers in that wound and going this is a wound right here this is a wound right here and I'm like stop that's enough I can't take it and so therefore believing the truth about that is really painful because of the lies that have surrounded and protected that for so long in the belief system that I have. 
Um, now, if I go to the behavior part of it, I, I want you to understand that when you look at somebody who's in the LGBT community or um, that we know, I want you to understand that that lifestyle is not a sexual issue. It's a relational issue. We need to look beyond that surface of why are you acting like that? Why are you in the homosexual lifestyle? Why do you want to change your sex? And there's also questions like, why do you desire that? Why are you seeking these things? There's also the other questions. Who told you that that was your only option? Who told you that wasn't changeable? Um, and trying to understand you know, where they may have got that. Now, I also want to say they may not know what has brought them to this place of believing that. All they know is this is how I feel. Um, my understanding, as far as the lies I believe, came from seeking the Lord. He revealed those things to me to get out my own roots, to begin to break down those lies, to get into that place, to begin the healing. So when we're working with somebody and I ask them, why do you, why do you think it's better for you to live as a woman than to be biologically male? And they tell me, um, you know, it's because I watched my dad treat women like that and I don't want to be that man. Hmm. But he doesn't realize that he could become that abused woman. <laughs> so it's, it's helping them to discover why they believe rather than just trying to tell them that this is why you believe that. I also want to say that we need to understand that the fruit of that lifestyle is because of a deeper wounding. How we see their behavior, the fruit of that, is from a deeper brokenness. And it's not just because they're trying to be deviant, they're not trying to be um, promiscuous, it's driven by that pain and for that, that longing to have this deeper brokenness fixed. And so they think by acting out this way, it's gonna fix that deeper um, brokenness or it's gonna fill that deeper wounding. Um, we also have to understand that there is a legitimate need in there that has gone unmet. It was never filled, and so they're seeking to fill that need. Most likely, it's they just want to be loved. They want to know that they're safe, um, or there wasn't nurturing in there. So they're trying to get these legitimate needs met. Also, you may notice that sometimes in the lifestyle, there is somebody who is 25 and they're acting like they're 12. So in those cases, that's actually what we call arrested development. And what has happened is, um, say it is 12, they got raped or they had a severe trauma that happened to them at the age of 12. They can't emotionally really um, process that, so they get stuck emotionally at 12. And so that's why we see you're a 25-year-old, but you're acting like a 12-year-old boy. And that's because they're stuck in that place of trauma, and they haven't emotionally been able to develop beyond that. Um, so that's kind of how I believe that we see people go into the lifestyle, because there is the root system, and we have the deception that comes in, begins the lies, and then the wounding that actually tells it how to function. And the behavior, again, is not a sexual issue. It's a relational issue. Uh, they were never related to correctly, maybe. Um, 
I do, I do have that question, though. Um, you know, I, I don't know how that can be true because our, uh, my kids were raised in a very loving Christian home. And so I don't know, you know, how this could have happened to them. I don't think it was their environment. And I have to say, that is your perception, that you raised your kids in a loving home. However, what is the child's perception in that? Um, I asked a man, um, I have known him for a long time, and we happened to be at a conference together. So I sat down with him and I said, you know, I, I know bits and pieces of your testimony. I know you lived as a woman and now you're not. And I said, I, I have some questions uh, for you, though. And he's like, yeah. I said, well, my question is, is that you've made a comment that you've lived in a very loving home. You grew up in a very loving home, but yet you wanted to become a woman. Why? Why did you want to become a woman? And he said, well, uh, I learned that when I was at the age of four, I was watching my dad play with my sister. And as he delighted in her and played with her, and, you know, I, I just saw how much he loved her. And in that moment, I realized in order for me to have my dad love me that much like he loves my sister, I need to be a girl. Boom enters that place of deception and the lies begin. And so now, because, um, from what I understand, dads play with boys differently than they play with girls. And he didn't have the tools to sort that out, to go, oh, I'm a boy, and so of course my dad's going to treat me like this. Oh, that's my sister, so of course she's going to be played with that way. He didn't have the tools, and the deception built those lies. And so from that perception, that moment that that entered, it... He, that's all he could see was, I have to be a girl in order to be loved. And everything beyond that affirmed those lies for him. Um, another common question that I get is, um, how long will this take to get over? Uh, family members, spouses, uh, you know, parents, friends, that's a very common question. So, you know, I, I, how long is it going to take for them to heal from this? Well, my question back to them is, how long are you willing to pray? It took me 11 years to say yes to the Lord. And then five and, you know, four and a half to five years of my process to fully go back and live in who I was created to be. How long are you willing to pray? Now, I know that the Lord's arm is not too short to save, but how long are you willing to wait? And even though you may have just learned Maybe they've just disclosed to you, hey, I, I'm gay, and um, I'm going to go and be in a relationship. Or, you know, I just realized today that I, you know, I'm telling you that I want to go live as a woman. So even though you have just learned of this, they've actually been struggling for a while. This is something that they eat, breathed, and slept with. <laughs> this is something that they have been taught pondering for quite a while. It's not something they just woke up with yesterday and went, oh, you know what? I think I look better as a man, so I'm going to go live as a man. You know, it's been brewing in there for a while. They've been struggling with it for a while. And I just want to encourage that since they didn't get there overnight, they're not going to come out overnight. I guess I'm not sure. Maybe that's not an encouragement. But just so to understand that it was a process for them to get in there. There was a whole bunch of lies that they believed to get them there. So it's not going to 
they're not going to be able to come out overnight. There's a process in that. And some of that process, I will say, is hard. It's really hard. Um, and, you know, they say it takes a village. I would agree with that. I had a, a group of people that I'm so grateful for that they um, endured with me. Uh, they probably endured me <laughs> as well as persevered with me and for me. Um, it's prayer that will bring them out there. If you want your loved one to be free, it takes prayer. It takes intercession. And I'm not just talking about, um, Lord, bring them out of that lifestyle. Show them how wrong that lifestyle is. It's more like, Lord, what is it that they believe? How do I stand and fight for them against what they believe, Lord? How do I pray the truth into them? How can I have the truth revealed to them? And it's really making it about them and not just about them coming out of that lifestyle. Because as we pray about the truth for them, rather than just coming out of the deception, we're also praying for a relationship with God. We're praying for that relationship with Christ. Lord, I want them to know you. I want them to know you more than just coming out of this lifestyle. Because there was a four-year period from when the Lord called to me that I actually came out of that lifestyle where the Lord wooed me. Remember I talked about making space for him everywhere. That was a four-year period where the Lord very patiently continued to woo me into this relationship so that when I got to that place where I was confronted, who are you, I told the truth and was able to take that next step into freedom. And I know that there were people praying for me through that to bring me out of that. Um, I also want to say that I also believe that it's the environment because I think something either happened or was missed in that. And if neither of those happened, again, there was an incorrect perception in those informative years, which is usually zero to five. And um, now obviously my environment wasn't the best. So of course I'm kind of like textbooked transgender, but there are those that like the man that wanted to live as a woman, had a false perception about what he saw that was going on um, as far as how his dad was treating his sister better than how he was treating her. And from there, probably the relationship between the dad and the son was very broken. Um, another question that I get is, how do I talk to my child? Um, or how do, I, how do I befriend someone who's in the lifestyle? And to that I would say, um, if you want to befriend them, uh, keep understand that they're, they're a human being and that, and that they do have something to offer you. Even if you don't agree with the way that they're living or um, the, you know, the struggles that they're in, they still have something to offer you. And don't make them a project. Because when you make them a project, I'm going to be the one that's going to bring them the truth. I'm going to be the one that's going to uh, bring them out of this. Um, you've just made it about you. And they'll know that they're your project. And when you get together, even with your child, it's not always talking about where they're at in life and what they're struggling with. It's understanding, I need to build trust with you. I need you to understand that I love you. Yes, we have an elephant in the room every time you come over or every time you enter the room. We have this elephant that's here. But you don't always have to talk about the elephant. 
sometimes it's just having that conversation with them. You know, you say you want to live as a man, and I, I just, I just want to understand. Do you, do you know why you want to live as a man? Why, why are you so passionate about that? Or whatever the conversation could be. But it's also keeping your opinions out about it. When I had people approach me that were like, well, we need to talk about your next steps, what you need to do. Well, how do you know what's best for me? You know, most of the people who brought their, you know, and they were well-meaning people. But most of the people that brought their stuff to me that I need to be doing or I should be doing or I should be wearing, it was their opinion. I don't believe that they were praying on my behalf. And those who were praying sat with me. They came in and they entered into my world rather than making me enter into theirs. Uh, so that is the conclusion as far as what I have. Uh, and that was a broad stroke. There's so many things I could have taken a deeper dive into. Um, but uh, those could I could cover one subject in just one hour. But I gave you a broad stroke. And again, if you have no, uh, if you have any questions about anything that I have taught or um, you just want to talk to me further, maybe have that, that deeper conversation, again, you can email me at kathygrace at portlandfellowship.com, K-A-T-H-Y-G-R-A-C-E at portlandfellowship.com, and I would be happy to respond to you. And also, if um, you forget that or you didn't write it down or you accidentally delete the recording, you can go to the Portland Fellowship website, portlandfellowship.com, and there's a general email there that you can send, and Jason, the executive director there, is really good about getting the messages that are meant for me to me. So uh, I just want to um, close in prayer, and um, thank you for listening. Thank you for uh, taking the time to hear this. So Lord Jesus, I just ask you that... Um, and the truth that was revealed that you would show us what to do with that. How do we talk to those who are in the lifestyle? How do we talk to those who are uh, struggling? Lord, how do we come alongside those who are struggling and, and just be Jesus to them? And I just ask God that you would bring a greater revelation. You would stir up that um, intercession, that spirit of intercession, and give wisdom to those who are fighting for their loved ones or fighting for a spouse. God, give them what it is that they need to come alongside that person. In your name, Jesus, amen.